Welcome to Alcohol Across America with your host, Dr. Brad Crever, along with a weekly panel of co-hosts. Our program examines the impact of beverage alcohol on public health and safety, the nation's economy, and American culture. Each week, we discuss current trends and issues. Now, here is your host, Dr. Brad Crever. Welcome to Alcohol Across America. I'm your host, Brad Crever. The topic of alcohol in America is just inherently interesting. For one, Americans drink a lot. Uh, The CDC data shows that in 2015, 70% of adults reported that they drank in the past year and 56% in the past month. Last year, we consumed over $25 billion of spirits, $37 billion of beer and $60 billion of wine. But alcohol in America presents an interesting series of paradoxes. The alcohol hospitality industry is the embodiment of American free enterprise and capitalism. It's usually competitive and there are great success stories as retailers and, and producers. But the regulations for this industry are anti competitive and they are that way by design. Economically, we want retailers and restaurants and bars to thrive and for excise and sales tax revenues to grow for for states. But from a public health perspective, we don't want Americans' alcohol consumption to increase. The alcohol and hospitality sector can be an engine of growth and vitality for communities, but problem bars and retailers uh, can lead to community decay. And the number of craft brewers and distillers and the beverage choices now available to us are growing exponentially, uh, overwhelming not only consumers and retailers and bars and restaurants, but also overwhelming the regulatory system. Every week, my co-host and I will explore the ways in which alcohol impacts America, how it impacts us individually if we consume alcohol ourselves, how alcohol impacts our communities how the alcohol beverages we choose in the industry that supplies and serves them are changing, and how alcohol impacts college communities and how these communities can respond. Before I introduce our co-hosts to describe their involvement in alcohol and the topics and guests that they will be presenting in alcohol across America, let me first just describe my own uh, involvement and, and how it came about. I had been working 20 years ago with state attorneys general who were, just putting it simply, going after the tobacco industry. And you know, of course, that they made major settlements with the tobacco manufacturers for their history of fraud and abuse. But I was working with the Attorney's General Consumer Protection Division, which was working with large national chains to try to prevent them from selling tobacco to minors. As it turned out, of course, retailers who sell tobacco also in most cases sell alcohol, and there's no separate training or protocols for tobacco versus alcohol. So willy-nilly, the changes that the AGs were trying to impose upon retailers uh, were applicable to both tobacco and alcohol. And the challenge was to prevent underage sales. And it just seems like the easiest thing. Preventing underage sales should mean nothing more complicated than checking an ID and being sure that the ID is is authentic, that the age shows the person to be 21 or older, and that it actually belongs to the person who's presenting the ID. 
So it seems as though underage sales could only come about if people are being neglectful, they're not caring, they're indifferent. And yet these retail organizations, particularly these large, large national chains, had very strict and stringent policies explicitly insisting that all staff check ID and determine that it's authentic and it belongs to the customer. So it just wasn't clear why this pattern of underage sales should persist when the remedy was so obvious. Uh, as it turns out, as we delved into this, we discovered uh, first of all, that the retailers themselves didn't know how to change this. They had policies. They'd fire people who violated the policies, but they couldn't figure out how to get staff to follow the policies correctly. Um, and and this research is embedded in stores and in chains and in communities. And we've learned a great deal. We've actually uh, developed some strategies that have been proven to be effective in reducing underage sales. And we look forward to sharing this research in, in future broadcasts. But while we were working in these communities, people expressed their gratitude that we were helping them and identify these challenges to underage sales. But they look at me and they'd sort of look around their shoulder to be sure that no one could overhear them. And they'd say, we're glad to be preventing underage sales, but quite frankly, our biggest problem is, and if it was a retailer uh, or bar or restaurant, they'd say, well, our biggest problem is customers who drink too much. If we were speaking to a law enforcement officer or a regulator, they'd say the problem is over-service. In other words, the neglectful behavior of people working in the alcohol establishment, serving someone who's already intoxicated. But we recognize that this was a pattern everywhere, and that although there was a tremendous interest to try to reduce underage sales, perhaps the greater problem is the abuse of alcohol and its impact not only on the health of individuals, but to the community as a whole, that, that intoxicated customers are a threat, not not only to themselves, but to the licensed establishment, their staff, other customers in the community. So we've been researching that as well. Um, and this research has gotten us to work with uh, a number of different stakeholders. Um, and we've done it through uh, an organization that's called the Responsible Retailing Forum, which began first as a project at Brandeis University in the Heller Graduate School, where I was a, a senior researcher, but subsequently became its own separate nonprofit organization. And the Responsible Retailing Forum is committed to two goals. It's to identify uh, best practices that will reduce underage sales and achieve compliance with all the alcohol sales laws, but additionally to engage these diverse stakeholders um, in candid discussion and dialogue. And that in and of itself proved to be the more daunting challenge. There are many, many different stakeholders who are involved in these issues. Some of them are in the industry, uh, the, the retailers and their industry partners. Uh, some of them are in public health and prevention, safety, highway traffic safety is involved in this in terms of driving under the influence. So we have a whole large array of stakeholders in the public sector and in the private sector both at the local and the national level, all of whom have an instrumental role to play in trying to prevent underage sales and create a protective effect for, for communities and their youth. And it's very interesting for us at the RR Forum because these stakeholders have enormous disagreements among one another. Uh, they they disagree strongly as to whether beer should be taxed the same as spirits. Uh, because right now beer is taxed at a lower rate in terms of its alcohol content. Uh, should 
Uh, limiting the number of licensees be pursued as a way of reducing overall consumption. Uh, should alcohol excise taxes be increased as a way of reducing consumption, a strategy that proved very effective with tobacco. But of course, in tobacco, we wanted everyone not to smoke. We were, there's never been a hope for it everyone to stop drinking only to learn to drink responsibly. Um, and of course, um, the one area in which everyone agrees is limiting youth access and use. So we've been privileged in our, our forum to have people working with us who otherwise might only see one another in courtrooms or legislative hearings, but who are working together and dialoguing together to figure out how collaboratively we can address these problems um, and ensure that alcohol is consumed responsibly and only by legal age adults. So that's how I got involved in all this work. Uh, and the people I'll be introducing to you in a few minutes as our co-host for uh, Alcohol Across America are also people who've been involved in the RR Forum. Many of them are board members of the RR Forum. Uh, the first one that I'd like to introduce to you uh, is Charles Curry. Uh, who will co-host the monthly program on alcohol and health, including both individual and societal impacts of alcohol use. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Brad. It's great to be with you here today. Thank you. Could you share with us your experiences with alcohol in the federal government? Well, from uh, I'd be happy to, Brad. Uh, from 2001 to 2006, I was uh, served the Bush administration, George W. Bush administration, as the administrator of the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, which is an operating division within the uh, Federal Department of Health and Human Services. And uh, that organization is known as SAMHSA. And uh, SAMHSA is... Uh, mission is to reduce the impact of substance abuse and mental illness on America's communities. In fact, Congress established SAMHSA in 1992 to make substance use and mental health disorder information and services and research more accessible uh, to people, uh, to communities, uh, to practices uh, across this country. And SAMHSA does that by working with states, by working with uh, uh, public health officials, by working with healthcare organizations in the private sector, uh, academia, working with universities, in disseminating uh, the latest information uh, regarding uh, what works in services and striving to accelerate what we call that science to service um, uh, process, which uh, is, is, has been very important. And when it comes to alcohol, uh, specifically, there were there were several initiatives that we uh, uh, led and were involved with at SAMHSA, including uh, leading the interagency um, council on preventing underage drinking of the federal government, comprised of several federal agencies, and also invited to that table were organizations such as. RRF and, and uh, various trade associations and uh, groups of preventionists and individuals education interested in uh, eliminating and reducing underage drinking in this country. Um, we also uh, were very engaged in, uh, in evolving and uh, working with our partner, the National Institutes of Health, in particular NIAAA, the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, as well as uh, uh, the National Institute of uh, Drug drug abuse, uh, to not only disseminate information, but try to translate uh, research findings of what works into practice. Um, so the, we, we worked with alcohol at many levels, especially under our mission regarding addressing substance use disorders in this country and working to assure effective treatment and uh, ways to more effectively prevent the negative consequences of alcohol use and misuse. 
Charlie, uh, you mentioned that uh, SAMHSA distributes a lot of information about evidence-based programs. SAMHSA also distributes a lot of money. Uh, could you give a sense of just the size of the federal financial commitment to states to address alcohol and tobacco and other drugs? Yes. Uh, the, the overall budget for SAMHSA is over uh, uh, $3.6 billion. And uh, um, over half of that uh, is allocated to uh, the substance use treatment and prevention block grants that are appropriated to states based on a formula that states can use to address um, the issues around substance use and and uh, uh, fostering innovative treatment, for example, as well as uh, funding prevention programs. Uh, one of the initiatives we began and which uh, continues to this day at SAMHSA um, was the strategic prevention framework. And we funded uh, programs across the country based on the science of what we've learned regarding what we call risk and protective factors that in, in communities around this country from a public health standpoint, there are risk factors that actually can perpetuate or uh, underage drinking, for example. Uh, but there are also protective factors that can be implemented in communities. Uh, and, and we also uh, provided uh, the national um, registry of effective prevention programs which uh, basically outlined programs that met a standard based on the research and based on peer review that really work in both the treatment and prevention of substance use disorders. And, and they could use that resource as they determined what they might fund under those strategic prevention framework grants. Mm -hmm. Charlie, what are some of the issues that you hope to be examining each month on uh, alcohol across America? Well, Brad, I'm really looking forward to co-hosting uh, three programs with you, and uh, each one, I think, uh, have a, 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 a great relevance to alcohol across America. Uh, one of our programs uh, will be on alcohol dependency and as a brain disease. And uh, our expert that day, who, who will be our guest, is Dr. Hal Urschel of Enter Health, which uh, is an addiction uh, treatment center based in Dallas. He's a, uh, Hal is an addiction psychiatrist, and he also is the author of the book, Healing the Addicted Brain. And in that program, we'll be addressing the myths around uh, addiction treatment that people may hold. For example, that uh, alcohol is more of a uh, a personality behavioral issue, uh, when in reality it is a biological disease of the brain, and that also that traditionally talk therapy uh, is is the the most effective or the only way of treating it. And and again today we have medications that treat uh, alcohol uh, dependence uh, with great results. And and how can it, we'll actually be discussing? And this is one thing that uh, I'm very excited about is um, as as we work to evolve treatment interventions and protocols that yield uh, predictable positive clinical outcomes. And uh, we never have been able to speak in that quantified way before in uh, addiction or alcohol disorder treatment. And uh, the day is coming with medications, with mobile technologies that can be used uh, to, to keep for individuals to stay in touch with their their uh, a treatment counselor and their sponsors, um, and uh, how, how those things can be bundled. Uh, it's going to be a very exciting segment to talk mm -hmm. about what's happening lately and that we, we can indeed have more predictable results in alcoholism. Alcohol dependence is not just a relapsing disease, but one in which recovery can be more assured. Mm 
When I had um, moved to the Heller Graduate School uh, to, to do research, it was what I called researching the medicalization of addiction, treating addiction not as a character defect, uh, but as a medical condition. And of course, a great deal has happened since then, and I'm really looking forward to, to learning more about that. Charlie, could you tell us, why is this personally important to you? Uh, this is personally important to me uh, because early on in my career, as I, I now have a 40-year career in, in uh, behavioral health, including mental health and addressing substance use disorders, uh, my faith has always been central in my life and a motivation to serve others, especially those that are vulnerable and might say live on the margins of society and communities. And, uh, and I witnessed firsthand not only people with serious mental illnesses who, who have been shoved aside, but people with addictive addictive disorders uh, uh, and, and alcohol dependence shoved aside many times because they, they, they were viewed as uh, not being able to be uh, treated or addressed or they're more of a problem than they could be helped. And uh, uh, on one event that I vividly recall, my first year of practice as a clinician in, in Ohio was a, a couple that I was seeing in counseling. And uh, they had a very tough relationship. There was verbal abuse, emotional abuse, and at times physical abuse. And alcohol was a major factor in that. That they had, uh, uh, they were heavy drinkers. They binge, they would binge drink quite a bit. And uh, I will never forget the morning I received a call that uh, he woke up next to his wife and found her dead. And and uh, it was because of alcohol poisoning. And 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 it just struck me that uh, when we are, are talking about uh, alcohol dependence and we're talking about the negative consequences, we're not only talking about quality of life and trying to help people build their lives back together, but we're talking about saving lives. And it's preventable. And, uh, and, and that type of incident just reinforced in me, and, and I've seen others, that uh, this work is so important. And we must be urgent in, in going back to uh, science to service. Uh, the National Academy of Science indicated 15 years ago in a study that it takes 17 years from research findings to find itself in practice, in, in, in actual clinical practice. We need to accelerate that process. That was a major mission at SAMHSA. The work I do with the Curie Group LLC today is a major focus of that as well. And, uh, and, and it's an urgent process. But we know more than we ever have known before. And we must, as Brad and you and I have discussed this before, we must do what we know. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm looking forward, Charlie, to exploring these issues of alcohol and both individual and societal health with you and your guests. And we're excited to have the benefit of your insights from your work overseeing federal support for alcohol and drug treatment and prevention throughout the U.S. When we come back, we'll be meeting Professor William DeYoung of the Boston University School of Public Health. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Responsible Retailing Forum is a leader in the industry, bringing together public and private stakeholders, regulatory and enforcement agencies, attorneys general, public health agencies and producers, and community leaders and researchers in order to identify and promulgate best practices for responsible retailing and engage the stakeholders in examinations of responsible retailing policies. For more information on RR Forum or its partners, or how your community can get involved, please visit rrforum.org. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. 
Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Alcohol Across America. We'd love to hear from you with questions and comments about our program. Please send an email to crever at rrforum.org. That's K-R-E-V-O-R at rrforum.org. Now back to Alcohol Across America. And welcome back to Alcohol Across America. This is Brad Crever. Joining me now is Professor William DeYoung of the Boston University School of Public Health, who will co-host the monthly program on college drinking. In full disclosure, Bill's been a close friend and colleague for over 25 years, so pardon me if I forget to show the respect that his very distinguished career certainly merits. Hello, Bill. Hi, Brad. How are you today? I'm doing great. Bill, could you describe, first of all, your work at Boston University? Uh, Certainly. As a faculty member, we engaged in a combination of activities involving teaching, research, and what we call public health practice. Um, The students we teach are all graduate students. We have degrees in the Masters of Public Health and a doctorate in public health. Uh, Research uh, is certainly something we're expected to do continuously. Uh, Some of the research I've done most recently focuses on youth drinking, uh, specifically looking at their exposure to brand-specific advertising and how that influences the brands that underage drinkers choose to consume. And in the area of public health practice, I've done a number of things. Uh, Early in my career, I had involvement with Project DARE. Um, I worked on the media campaign that introduced the country to the designated driver. That was through the Harvard School of Public Health. Um, For many years, directed a center uh, for the U.S. Department of Education that focused on alcohol and other drug problems among college students. And uh, fairly recently, help develop uh, a version of a course called Alcohol EDU for College. It's an online course for college freshmen, now taken by about one-third of all entering students each year. Wow. What are some of the issues, Bill, that you're hoping to explore each month in terms Mm -hmm. of college drinking? Well, for the three segments that I'll be co-hosting, we'll begin by looking at some of the recent trends 
in college student drinking in terms of frequency, uh, incidence of problems. Uh, this is an issue that really came to the fore um, back in the mid-1990s when we had the first national survey data that indicated how much students were drinking. And we've had various ways of monitoring that over time. Uh, what we're going to see is that the incidence of heavy drinking um, has gone down in recent years. The incidence of driving under the influence has gone down. But what has become a major problem and is growing year by year is alcohol poisoning. Uh, some students are literally drinking themselves to death. So we'll be looking at some of the uh, recent statistics and talk more about alcohol poisoning uh, what seems to be behind that trend and what can be done to prevent it. Uh, in that first segment, we'll also be looking at the impact of alcohol on learning and brain development. Uh, the research is becoming clearer and clearer that alcohol can affect brain development until people are in their mid-20s and reach full maturation. Uh, the second segment we're going to be looking at social influences on college student drinking. Now, we're used to thinking about peer influence, peer pressure, but what we're going to be exploring is how people's perceptions of how much other students drink drives their own drinking behavior. What's key is not how much other students are actually drinking, but what students think is the case with other students drinking. And there's all kinds of research showing that college students think there's way more heavy drinking going on than is actually the case. And if you simply have a media campaign or some kind of intervention that tells them what the facts actually are and correct that misperception, it has a positive effect on their drinking. Uh, so we'll explore that in depth and look at some of the programming that's been successful in reducing college student drinking and related problems. And then finally, in the third segment, uh, we're going to be looking at what we in the field call environmental prevention or environmental management. So the idea here is that in addition to reaching students who are having trouble with alcohol and getting them appropriate treatment, in addition to basic education, we really have to look at the campus and community environment and how it encourages or discourages heavy alcohol use and alcohol problems. Uh, certainly, this is a matter of policy and policy enforcement, but we can look at a whole range of different management issues on campus and how that may facilitate uh, the problem. So, for example, on many campuses today, Friday classes are rare, and that means that Thursday night, in addition to Friday and Saturday night, has become a problem. And then finally, we're going to close with a focus on academic leadership. What have presidents and boards of trustees who have been successful in reducing alcohol problems on their campus been able to do? How did they achieve it? And then we'll also look at why relatively few college presidents have made this an actual priority. There's a lot of work that remains to be done. We have learned a lot about what works to reduce this problem. We now need college presidents to become familiar with that research and act on it. 
Bill, I would think one of the confounding challenges for for your field of, of working with college alcohol use and abuse is that we went to college <laughs> and oh, we yeah. drank and we turned out fine. Um, is the attitudes of people who are themselves adults thinking about upon college and the relative harmlessness they felt about their experiences. Is that a factor in the problems we face today? Oh, it certainly is. But I would say in terms of turning out fine, speak for yourself, Brad. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Well, I think one thing um, about that is that people uh, who are parents today uh, may be or have were unaware of the problems that existed at the time they went to college. I mean, one of the things that energizes my work is the fact that between my sophomore and junior years of college, a very dear friend of mine who I'd gone to middle school and high school with went to a summer fraternity party. He was a student at the University of Texas. And after the party, he died in a absolutely horrible drunk driving crash that resulted in him having burns over 95% of his body. Uh, It was just absolutely horrible. That kind of thing used to happen, but we never thought of it as anything other than bad luck. We now realize that it's um, a problem that is embedded in our culture. It's embedded in our expectations about what college is all about and That means, though, that it's a problem that can be addressed. I think the other thing that today's parents don't realize is that the nature of the drinking has changed. Beer is still uh, the drug of choice for most college students. It is the alcohol of choice. But more and more students are turning to spirits, and they're consuming, in some cases, vast quantities of alcohol in a very short period of time. And that's why the alcohol poisonings are are such a problem today, which certainly did not happen when I was a student with any kind of frequency, but it's all too common now. Um, I'm sure many of us are going to be reliving or at least remembering our own college experiences during these broadcasts and also worrying about our our own children attending college. Our next co-host is Scott Wexler, the director of the Empire State Restaurant and Tavern Association. Hello, Scott. Good afternoon, Brad, and thank you for uh, having me join you. Okay, of course, Scott. And would you let people know what the Empire State is? Well, uh, isn't it obvious? Uh, uh, The Empire State is one of the monikers that we use uh, for the great state of New York. And what's your role there? So as executive director of the uh, State Restaurant and Tavern Association, um, I'm involved in uh, managing day-to-day a trade group that uh, looks out for the interests of small independent restaurants and bars. For those who aren't familiar uh, with a trade association, I like to explain it as a being a union for the business owners. Uh, We don't collectively bargain with our employees, but we uh, work to advocate on behalf of their interests. We are a resource for important information related to their business and things going on in the industry around them. And we provide guidance and assistance on a wide variety of topics. And of course, as you know, Brad, we're very active in the area of uh, compliance training. Now, as executive director, 
I'm the chief cook and bottle washer for the association. So I'm uh, deeply engaged in all of these activities, uh, working with the members to try and advance uh, both our collective interests and their individual business interests. So, Scott, that means you're working with senior policymakers on legislative issues, but you're also training incoming staff when they get their first job. Exactly. And and uh, sometimes uh, training folks along the way of their career, which actually uh, one of the things that we've learned is that our owners are, are better off hiring fresh, inexperienced employees who they can train and, and, and professionalize. So, yes, I have the, the pleasure and, and, and the opportunity to work with people across various uh, uh, levels of experience and expertise in these issues. Could you tell me, Scott, what some of the topics are and issues that you'll be addressing over the next few months? Sure. So um, we're going to invite guests with various perspectives to talk about changes to the alcohol industry uh, and, and impacting our consumers. On one show, we're planning to explore the impact of globalization, consolidation, and the growth of new products and product categories on the industry on and our patrons. In particular, we're, we're looking forward to discussing the effects on consumer demand and use, marketing and advertising, and responsibility programming. On another show, we'll discuss the challenges facing small independent alcohol retailers, both off-premise operators of package or liquor stores and on-premise operators of restaurants, bars, and taverns. The topics we hope to explore there include uh, the competition between big box liquor stores versus small box local neighborhood liquor stores, the uh, struggles of restaurants and taverns, uh, local independent owners competing against national chains, and the growing web of local, state, and federal laws, rules, and regulations that add to the challenges of running the business, not the least of which is the threat of over-service or making an underage sale. And we're also planning a show in which we'll examine alcohol beverage responsibility programming and the activities from its uh, initiation to the current day. Uh, Our conversation will review some of the key initiatives over the years uh, and look forward to future programming activity. I'm sure we all remember seeing those original bumper stickers, uh, friends don't let uh, friends drive drunk. Uh, Well, we're going to talk about some of those original programming ideas and some of the things that are, are involved now, including some of the exciting things uh, that we look forward to in the future uh, to try to impact on responsible beverage service. And Scott, why is this personally important to you? Well, I think what I like the most about this is the ability to help people. Uh, our help in the association allows our members to achieve their goals, objectives, and dreams, uh, whether that's by uh, removing obstacles to their success or by being a collective voice uh, for a group of similarly situated business owners or through some other means. The work that we do on alcohol responsibility gives me a chance to uh, to combine my passion advocacy for my members, my role as an active member of my community, and my pension to be a problem solver and to bring people together. And I'm actually um, truly looking forward to this new initiative uh, that we're all embarking on together and the opportunity to grow the circle of folks engaged in these important discussions. I'm really looking forward to the discussions you're going to be having with members of the alcohol industry. Um, This industry is just changing so quickly, um, and I personally have found that it's not even clear to me at this time 
who these companies are. There's been so much change in ownership and so many of the companies have become foreign owned that it's just a a very, very different uh, environment from what we knew many years ago. Um, after the break, we will be meeting our two remaining co-hosts, uh, Kathy Durbin of Montgomery County Department of Liquor Control and Mark Willingham of Alcohol Solutions. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Responsible Retailing Forum is a leader in the industry, bringing together public and private stakeholders, regulatory and enforcement agencies, attorneys general, public health agencies and producers, and community leaders and researchers in order to identify and promulgate best practices for responsible retailing and engage the stakeholders in examinations of responsible retailing policies. For more information on RR Forum or its partners or how your community can get involved, please visit rrforum.org. How is your company's marketing plan? Could it use a little help? For most businesses, the answer is yes. Tune in each week to Marketing That Won't Break the Bank. Host Janet Kunst and her guests will show you how and where to bring your marketing to the next level. Each show will feature action strategies that you can implement right away and see results. We'll make this easy for you. Start by tuning in every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. listening to alcohol across america we'd love to hear from you with questions and comments about our program please send an email to crever at rrforum.org that's k-r-e-v-o-r at rrforum.org now back to alcohol across america Welcome back to Alcohol Across America. Our final two co-hosts will both be involved in exploring alcohol's impact in the community. Uh, Dr. Mark Willingham of Alcohol Solutions and Kathy Durbin, an alcohol regulator from Montgomery County, Maryland. Mark, let me start with you. You've played two very different but equally interesting roles relating to alcohol. Could you describe your earlier work and now your current work? Certainly. And thank you for having me with you. Uh, as you know, I retired as a state law enforcement major with the Florida Division of Alcoholic Beverages and Tobacco. In that role, I licensed, regulated, policed, and helped the alcoholic beverage industry serve alcohol responsibly. 
for the past 15 years, I've served as a litigation consultant and expert witness in Dram Shop civil litigation. Uh, Dram Shop is a term that refers to alcohol-related entry and death lawsuits. And could you describe what they're all about and how typically they would play out? There are three ways in which alcoholic beverage establishments are regulated or rather encouraged to serve alcohol responsibly. One is the proposition that a criminal charge could be levied for a violation of law. The second is that a regulatory penalty could be imposed against the business's alcohol service license, either resulting in a fine, suspension, or revocation. But the third leg of of the regulatory process is the civil justice system that seeks uh, both restorative justice for someone who has suffered an alcohol-related harm uh, or seeks to change the business practices of the industry when faced with that type of civil lawsuit. And Mark, what are some of the issues that you'll be addressing each month? Many of the things that we'll be addressing will complement the other guests, uh, the other co-hosts in this program. Mine is going to take a a little different tact in terms of addressing regulatory law enforcement and, uh, and the civil justice system aspect of which I just spoke. I hope to talk about a brief history and uh, of and the nature of the alcoholic beverage system regulation in the United States. It's a product unlike any other product that's being sold, and it is regulated in a fashion that is different from most consumer products. I want to talk about the establishment of reasonable standards of care in the service of alcoholic beverages, or rather, what is expected of an alcoholic beverage retailer from a public policy perspective and how those retailers can comply with those expectations. I want to explore the use of criminal and administrative action by governmental agencies in regulating the sale of alcohol and preventing alcohol-related harms and look at the justification and the fairness of those uh, penalties. And finally, I want to spend some time talking about the civil justice system in preventing alcohol-related harms, and perhaps more importantly, providing some restorative justice for those who have suffered alcohol-related harms. Why is this personally important to you, Mark? I've been involved in the regulation of the alcoholic beverage industry and helping those who serve alcohol responsibly for almost 45 years. Uh, Much like Bill's experience with his friend, in almost all cases in which I'm involved in a lawsuit has involved a death or traumatic uh, uh, injury. Uh, And it's important for me to help retailers who are trying to do the right thing Uh, Alcoholic beverage retailers, in my opinion, are actually at the ground zero level to prevent alcohol-related harms. I truly believe that a majority of alcoholic beverage retailers want to serve alcohol responsibly, but their effectiveness can be limited by insufficient policies, by misunderstood practices, by employee and management training that does not meet their needs. Uh, and the absence of alcohol service management practices and management systems that address uh, risk assessment and risk abatement. I believe that when alcoholic beverage retailers partner uh, with regulators, 
with groups such as the Responsible Retailing Forum, the National Restaurant Association, state associations such as Scott's Empire State Restaurant and Tavern Association, alcoholic beverage retailers can be supported in their efforts to serve this important public need and prevent alcohol-related harms. And just as I hear you talk about this, it it harkens me back to this conflict, uh, this intrinsic tension between um, competition in business versus public health and safety. And it's just continually there with the issue of alcohol. Yes, that's very true. And even within the alcoholic beverage industry is significant discord. The intent or the goal of an alcoholic beverage retailer is, is to sell a product that when used improperly causes great public harm. Even servers and bartenders who work on a tip-based salary are encouraged by their desire to make money to serve more alcohol, which may be contrary to a public policy interest in preventing alcohol-related harms. The goal of the Responsible Retailing Forum and the position of that organization, as you well know, is to try to work with all these disparate partners to come up with some solutions that serve everyone's interest. And I think the issues that we'll discuss in this segment will address some of that. And as you well know, some of those disparate stakeholders don't always want to work together. (laughs) That's very true. Mm -hmm. The one group that they can always uh, be insured of working with is the government, the regulatory (laughs) entity, and the court system. Uh, And so uh, I believe that that those courses or those uh, uh, programs and uh, and enforcement efforts uh, can have a great benefit to the overall goal of, uh, of reducing alcohol-related harms. And Mark, you create the perfect segue to talk with the regulator, Kathy Durbin, our other co-host on alcohol in the community. And Kathy has the most extraordinarily diverse background in terms of alcohol in America. First, Kathy, what's the job of a regulator? Um, good afternoon, Brad, and thanks for having me. Um, I think the job of an alcohol regulator has changed over the years. It's not really, it's not as much reacting or citing businesses, although it's very important to understand the need for inspections and um, effective enforcement. But today's alcohol regulator is also about keeping the community safe through vibrant and innovative alcohol licensing and educational programming, anything you can do to help um, those businesses stay in business. And Kathy, how have your prior experiences shaped your view of this job? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I, um, I actually began bartending at a pretty young age, and I grew up in the hospitality industry. So I can remember, I don't want to age myself too much, but I can, I can remember in the, uh, the early 80s sitting around with friends, and we were always complaining about some of the regular customers that came in, and they often drank too much, and we really weren't sure what to do about it. These were people that we wanted. We really didn't want them to come into the business any longer, but we, as young bartenders, weren't really sure what to do, and we didn't understand that we were probably part of the, or a big part of the problem anyways. Um, we didn't know how to deal with uh, intoxicated customers and, um, or even a regular customer who, who we knew had a drinking problem. So uh, it was interesting because after that, I began working for the Restaurant Association of Maryland, and I helped to develop a server training program with them. 
on a state level and uh, later became executive director of that uh, of that chapter. Um, it was very interesting because I was working kind of on the other side of things, but um, still bartending um, on weekends. And it was so exciting to support the businesses that were licensed to sell and serve alcohol. And coming from that area, I knew that, you know, we really weren't bad people. We were just trying to figure out how to do it right and how to be proactive um, and develop policies. So we knew that the need for expanding resources through education and legislation and programming was so, so apparent. Um, So later on, after that, I decided to use my social work degree and um, I began working with um, local substance abuse prevention groups and writing prevention grants for Health and Human Services, and I directed a uh, prevention network addressing um, underage drinking issues and preventing sales to those under the age of 21. And then come kind of full circle a little bit here. Years later, um, I've been an alcohol regulator, and I run a division of um, who we oversee licensing of the businesses uh, that sell and serve alcohol, and uh, we work face-to-face with those businesses. So I have an opportunity every day to partner with other agencies, um, those people that were sometimes missing at the table, the stakeholders that we wanted to from my past experiences um, are usually at the table now. They tend to, you know, sit at the table with government and the regulatory groups, and um, the regulatory groups don't talk together all the time either. So this is really exciting. Um, we have coalition groups on our um, as partners that we use for lots of programming, and we also have a um, a lot of industry partners. And so we've been able to develop some really great, meaningful programs um, that actually help local economy at the same time. One of the paradoxes about alcohol that I could have added to the list at the at the beginning of this program um, has to do with the balance between enforcement uh, and cooperation. And I think you've seen, and Mark certainly has seen it in his work as a uh, um, professional with the Florida Department of Business and Professional Regulation, that if there's super aggressive enforcement, uh, it takes on a kind of siege mentality. And there's a lot of strife between licensees and law enforcement. And really aggressive law enforcement can have a kind of counterproductive effect. I know you've really tried to balance those two in Montgomery County and have come up with some really innovative programs. Mm-hmm. And that's true. And balance is a great, uh, great um, word. You, we use control a lot, but balance is even better because um, as we educate the businesses and we educate them for free and we have free trainings to support the state training as well, um, we're finding more and more that when we have compliance checks or other programs out in the community, um, the businesses are coming to apologize or they're coming before the Board of License Commissioners to apologize, where before it was very combative. Um, Our show cause hearings um, for violations for businesses took up 80% of our time, and now it might be 1%. That's 10 years of change and culture shift um, for the businesses. So it's very exciting to watch. You've lived so many of the different roles of alcohol in America, so that alone would give you a a high motivation. Mm -hmm. But are there any additional reasons why this work is so personally important to you? Um, well, I think that I have the same story as everyone else on the on the call. I've lost friends. I've watched things that have, you know, happened that could have been easily prevented. And so just to be a part of that, especially in my own community, and to be able to speak for my community, but also on a national level, um, 
gives me great pride. Um, and I love to evoke change. I have a social work degree. That's what I'm about. And so um, this is uh, always a great partnership with Responsible uh, Retailing Forum. And so I think I'll, as long as I can do this, I'll be happy. This is where I want to be. Thank you, Kathy. And I'm really looking forward to your and Mark's examinations of how communities respond to the challenges of alcohol. And and some of those challenges are are very positive challenges, not just negative ones. So uh, we're looking forward to that examination. Before we wrap up, what I'd like to do is go around to the other co-hosts who have been listening and just ask if there's anything additionally they'd like to share on the basis of what they've heard before or maybe would like to add to their initial remarks. Charlie, may I invite you to chime in? Yes, Brad. Um, I would like to highlight that uh, our program next week that I have the privilege of co-hosting with you will be about uh, prevention of underage drinking and prevention of the negative consequences of alcohol use and misuse. And our guest will be Ralph Blackman, uh, the CEO of the Foundation for Advancing Alcohol Responsibility. And we also hope to focus on giving concrete tips to parents how to talk about alcohol to children and teens. Thank you, Charlie. And uh, Bill. Yes, sir. You're on. I am on. Um, Listening to my fellow hosts, I'm I'm really impressed with the diversity of perspectives and how many important issues we'll be able to cover in this series. Um, Our society's relationship with alcohol is very complicated and, and has been going back to colonial times. Uh, I know from reading uh, histories of the Revolutionary War, for example, that George Washington despaired that so many soldiers in the Continental Army would frequently get drunk, which made discipline extremely difficult. Uh, We know of college student drinking problems going back also to colonial times. Um, So these problems have been with us, but... um, with all the research that's been done, with the public health practitioners who have learned so much uh, from the treatment community that's learned so much, we're really in a place now where we can help uh, a lot of people. And I hope this series will help uh, our listeners uh, realize that and feel hopeful about the future if they have a family member or if they themselves are having trouble with alcohol. No, they'll just have to grapple with how to afford college, but it'll be a safe experience. Uh, Scott. Well, like Bill, as I as I listen uh, to my colleagues, uh, I am impressed with how much experience and knowledge and, and the insight uh, that we bring to these conversations. And uh, I'm looking forward to tuning in uh, weekly at uh, 4 p.m. and can't wait to listen to Charlie, Brad, uh, uh, and you t- talk with uh, Ralph Blackman on uh, a week for Monday. I'm looking forward to that also. Uh, Mark. Since a repeal of prohibition, we have been undergoing a grand adventure, a grand styling of regulatory processes, and an involvement with a vibrant alcoholic beverage industry in a manner that has not been replicated anywhere in the world. And while it is still not a perfect process, I'm really heartened to hear all of the uh, various perspectives that will be brought forward in this show. And I think it may help uh, overall with a clear understanding of the issues at stake, the problems we face, and potential solutions to bring about a reduction in alcohol-related harms. Mm-hmm. 
And I realized a thought that I'd like to add is that of all the challenges that we will be examining, the challenge and problem we will not have to discuss is uh, fake alcohol, bootleg alcohol. We hear about people dying from polluted and fake alcohol across the globe, and we almost never hear this in the United States. So there's something about the alcohol industry in terms of the safety of the product and its delivery system here in the U.S., which is something we tend to take for granted because we don't have the experiences of many other nations of having serious challenges to their population of fake alcohol. Um, Very interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to this as much as all of you, and I hope that uh, our guests can join us and and listeners next Monday for Alcohol Across America. This is Brad Crever, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us this week for Alcohol Across America. Please join Dr. Brad Crever and another weekly guest expert next Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until our next program, be safe and have a great week.